You know, God's ministry is a ministry to the heart. That's an absolute, that's something that you need to recognize and know this morning. Often as we grow in God, we're forced to see ourselves. That's the path that God has laid before us. In learning Christ, we must first and foremost learn Christ. We must endure that painful process of learning ourselves. In truth, I'm talking about in the shadow of the light of the person of Christ. For a man to be regenerated, for a man to be born again, there must be a dealing in his heart. But likewise, for a man to grow or to mature in the things of God, his heart must always be pliable, always teachable. There's got to be a supernatural work done in the heart. And that's the ministry of the Holy Ghost to the heart of men. This morning I want to preach on the topic of ministry to the heart. And I want to read out of Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart is very, very important. Our heart condition, extremely important. Turn to Proverbs 17, chapter 3, or verse 3. Proverbs 17, verse 3. The finding pot is for silver. And the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. Now turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. It's the nature of God to try the hearts. It's the nature of God to uncover the human heart. The ministry of God is a ministry to the heart. Look at verse 28, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine. It wasn't the norm. It wasn't what they were accustomed to. It was different. These were church-going people. These were religious people. These were people that frequented the temple. But they weren't used to a ministry to the heart. They, they weren't used to a ministry from God Himself. For He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. That clearly indicates that the pulpit of the day was far from God. Far from God's methodology. Amen. God had left. God had departed. Amen. From the ministry of the day. I can tell you this, the ministry that is truly God-ordained and God-called is always a ministry to the heart. Father, we give you praise this morning. We ask you, Lord, for unction. We ask you, Lord, for your anointing to make this word a reality. That we would be thankful, Father God, for your heart dealings in our life, Father God. We would look back and see your mercy, your hand of grace in our lives as you've chastened us and exposed us for Your glory. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen to God. You know, the Bible often uses the term heart to describe the innermost part of our being. Now, the heart is the seat of our affections and home to our conscience. Hence, it is the governing base 
of all of our person and therefore is the fountainhead from whence all spiritual activity flows. As we read here, amen, out of it are the issues of life. So the heart is a very, very important issue as it commands the quality of our spiritual life. I can size up an individual. I can see where they're at in Jesus. And it is a reflection of their heart condition. You can always trace it to the heart. Even the Bible teaches that man in his fallen state possesses a sinful heart. We know the prophet Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? Who, who can know the heart? It's God that tried the heart. It's God that can know the heart. And for you and I to truly be set free from the wickedness and the deceit of the human heart apart from Christ, it's a supernatural act of the work of God. It's a ministry to the heart. Thus it must be recognized that all spiritual reformation arises from a radical change of heart. That's regeneration as well as sanctification. They're both by faith in the finished work of Christ, but it begins, its origins are in the heart. Consequently, conversion begins with the heart as it is the hub of all human activity. This is why Jesus said, ye must be born again. Amen. There must be a radical change that does violence to that sinful nature if we're truly to be converted. But likewise, we read of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to Christians, and in essence he said, ye must be transformed. How are we to be transformed? By the renewing of our mind. Do you hear me? There's got to be a work done in that inward heart for you and I to be sanctified. So I want to establish that ground here this morning, that everything that's accomplished of any eternal value or virtue in our life is done by the Holy Ghost, and it begins in the heart of man. We must have a ministry to the heart. Do you hear me? Amen. Consider God's own narrative of the covenant of grace in Ezekiel chapter 36. He said, a new heart. Also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take that hard, cold heart from you, and I'm going to give you a tender heart, a heart that's sensitive, a heart that's circumcised to my ways, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments. So the Bible is clear, and I don't really believe I have to prove this, here this morning, but this is just laying a foundation. It is always God's intention to strike at the deepest, most inner workings of our, of our being. Amen. To produce in man a lasting and an eternal change. It must begin in the heart. Amen. You can't change someone's outward demeanor and affect their heart. You change someone's outward behavior by first setting their heart with the Lord Jesus Christ. God's ministry is ever a ministry to the heart. Amen. The Lord trieth the heart. That gives us a glimpse of His nature. It gives us a glimpse of His attributes. It's His nature. It's His pattern to deal with hearts. Now, heart language, that's the most effective means of human communication. Transcending all economic, racial, and cultural lines. 
For example, when we were in the world, in that worldly realm, the musician or the actor or the politician who can successfully captivate that heart can move the masses. We know that's the truth. We've seen it happen in our short history, in our lifetime. It says in the book of Proverbs, as in water, face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. Even beneath all the gymnastics of that verbal communication, there's a deeper heart-to-heart communication among men. In the spiritual realm, this is also true. True gospel preaching always profoundly touches the heart. Psalms 42 and 7, even the psalmist said, Deep calleth unto deep. Amen. There is a heart-rending word that comes from heaven and men may deny it. They may intellectually reject it, but it touches that heart. Amen. And it renders them forever changed, either hardened, amen, or softened and broken to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot sit under divine utterance and remain unmoved. Do you hear me? Something happens either for better or for worse. Amen. That noonday sun, it'll harden that clay. But it'll melt that wax. Amen. Two effects, the same sun. Two effects, the same sun. Amen. Without heart influence, the gospel is gutted of its power and it's rendered feeble, superficial, and void of life-changing impact. Therefore, it's essential that our message go further than skin deep. When you find that superficial, that light church, amen, with that light spiritual substance, Amen. That's always a product of the ministry that that church has been birthed under and has sat under. And friend, I'm here to tell you this morning, that's all over America, yea, all over the world, a light, superficial Christianity that only affects the outward man. It's a terrible thing. It's a tragedy to see that. We ought to take note of it and apply it to our own lives. That we wouldn't produce such, but that we would truly have the Spirit of God. That we would possess a ministry to the heart. The ministry that fails to affect the human heart will at best be fruitless. At worst, it will be dangerous. Do you hear me? Amen. And when I say fruitful, I'm not talking about quantity, but I'm talking about quality. And it may, it may take some time to bear such fruit. But we're not after numbers. We're not after the applause of men. We're after quantity. Seeing men and women raised up in the spiritual likeness of the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Amen. If it doesn't consistently deal with the heart, then it cannot be said that it's pure biblical ministry. The scribes made chatter biblical facts void of convicting unction, but in contrast, Jesus' doctrine is always astonishing and always powerful. Now, he wasn't preaching. It says he taught the people. This was his teaching that was astonishing. This was his teaching that possessed such authority. You know, you hear people say, well, he was teaching and not preaching. That's why, you know, it was hard to stay awake while you're listening to him. No, no. Listen to me. The ministry of the Holy Ghost, it may vary. Amen. The me- or the, pardon me, the message and the gifting may be somewhat different. Amen. But I can tell you this. If it's supercharged with the anointing from on high, it's going to deal with the heart. It's going to possess divine authority. If God anoints it, you're going to recognize it as such. Every essential element of the gospel intimately engages the human heart. 
And that's what I want to do this morning. Just look at the heart-exposing qualities of the fundamentals of the gospel. You know, we don't think about this very often. The simple point the Spirit of God wants to communicate to us here this morning is that His ministry is always to the heart. And listen to me, very few people want that in this hour. Do you hear me? Very few people want. That's not sometimes, every once in a while. No, the ministry of God is always to the heart. Hey, but we're just going to look at essential elements of the gospel, and we're going to see that the Bible describes these things, amen, as having that searching quality that exposes the heart of man. The first element, the Word of God. In Hebrews 4 and 12, it says the Word of God is quick. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner or a judger of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. So the ministry of the pure Word of God is one that always probes into the Word of God. I want you to note the attributes of the Word of the Lord. First, it's living. Second, it's powerful. Third, it's sharp. A lot of people don't like sharp preaching. A lot of people want you to take the edge off of that anointing, the edge off the Word of the Lord. But my Bible says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Nothing more sharp. No instrument more hewn to a perfect edge than the Word of Almighty God. It's piercing. You know, if you sit under something sharp and piercing, that's not always comfortable. Is that right? You have to engage something that's sharp and piercing, and not only that, it has power. Hey, then what do you do with something sharp? You cut things up. What do you do with something, you know, piercing? You drive through. It has power to cut, power to be thrust through, power to expose the innermost parts. It's not always comfortable. And it discerns the innermost motives of the heart. You know, many times it'll expose the musings of your heart, what you thought about before you came into the service. I can remember as a young Christian, amen, and I I sat under Holy Ghost preaching, amen, the thing that I talked about before I came to church, the many times the things the devil lied to me about was exposed in the house of God, amen, why? Because the Word of God exposes the heart, it's to the heart, it's a ministry to the heart. We need that. It does more than touch the emotions. Or stimulate the intellect, though it's capable of both, it penetrates and exposes the heart. It illuminates God's commandments and promises and applies them directly to the individual so as to make the Word of God personal. Oh, they don't want it to be personal. They want it to be somebody else. We want to talk about somebody else. Amen. But this personal aspect of biblical ministry is what few want. But it's an absolute necessity that the Word of God, that the Gospel preaching be personal. You you study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You you look at His ministry and how He dealt with those twelve disciples. He called them by name. He rebuked them in public. Everywhere He went, they went. Much was required of them. It was a personal ministry. They just show up once a week on a Wednesday evening for a Bible study with the Master. 
Oh, but we believe that that's real ministry. No, no, the pattern is Christ. Amen. How many times do you find Jesus expounding on Old Testament theology? If you would, and I just thought about this this morning. I really didn't study it through. I know that He did. I, I'm not. I'm not coming against you know expository preaching uh, on theology. I believe it's needful and important. But how many times did Jesus discuss you know the instruments in the tabernacle or the garments that the Levites wore? That's all. It all can be profitable. It can all be useful. I, I've taught on it myself. But if you look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the parables, all the analogies, all the confrontation, all of it was calculated to expose the heart. Every bit of it. His ministry was probing. It had authority. It was a ministry to the heart. He is the living Word of God. Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. As a preacher, I'm obligated to make Amen. That a reality. Amen. To apply Christ personally to you. To make you feel as if Christ Himself is here. Making the same claims to the gospel that He made when He walked this earth. How am I to do that? It's done through remaining faithful to the methodology of God in preaching. We find that in 2 Timothy 4 and 2. Preach the Word. How am I to preach the Word? How am I to do that? Be instant in season and out. In other words, uninvited or when you're invited. When it's popular, when it's unpopular. Amen. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Those are the essential elements of true preaching. And those three things are done less in the church world today than anything else. People say they're preaching. You never hear them reprove sin. You never hear them rebuke sinners. And you never hear them exhorting men to flee from the wrath to come. To exhort means to plead. To plead. You hear none of that, but they call themselves preachers. They're not preaching according to the Scriptures. Amen. Now, contrary to popular notions, God the Father is a disciplinarian. Did you know that? He is a strict disciplinarian. Do you believe that God would ask you and I to do to our children what He would refuse to do to us? I spank my children all day. Amen. It's just a normal, you know, procedure to have to discipline. It's probably one of the most important, amen, elements of child training. And so why would we suppose that discipleship can be void of reproof and correction? I'm going to say this. One of the most important elements, if not the most important element to discipleship is reproof by the Word of God. Men that will not be corrected, will not be reproved. They cannot be the disciple of Christ. Discipleship is to come under the discipline. That's what it means of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the Bible says, For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth even as a father, the son in whom He delighteth. So He makes an analogy between that natural earthly parent and Himself. Amen. The Lord is going to correct just like that loving parent will correct. Now the rod of correction in the Spirit is what? It's the Word of God. I spank my children with a bamboo. Rod. Amen. But if God's going to spank me, He's going to use the Bible. That's the rod of correction in the Word of God. And it says in Proverbs, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Do you see the eternal ramifications of this? 
Amen. I can tell you this morning there are churches all over America where they hadn't received a good trip to the woodshed in years and they are dying for the lack of reproof. That pastor is withholding correction from that congregation because he's afraid or because he's ignorant or whatever reason. Amen. You may recall in Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan talked about Pilgrim and Hopeful and they met some shepherds and the shepherds gave them some counsel. Amen. Gave them some wisdom out of the Word of God and they didn't, they didn't heed what those shepherds said. And the next time they ran into the shepherds, what did they do? Did they pray with them? No. Did they have a little prayer meeting with them at a pity party? Did they wipe their tears and tell them what a rough time they had? No, they flogged them! That was in times past. Amen. When the ministry still had backbone and courage. And when people expected for the pastor to reprove. This being true, we need to consider for the moment the implications of pastors who refuse to chasten their congregations. Proverbs 13 and 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him be times. That means early. Soon as they get born again, let's start dealing with stuff. Soon as they get born again, come under the Word of God and let the Word of God do its work in that life. But if I withhold the Word of God from you, a lot of people would say, Well, Brother Britt, I used to listen to your tape years ago, and you was harsh. You were a mean man. I don't know how anybody could have sat under you. I've heard people say, That's a mean ministry. But I can tell you this, you know, they would say, Well, now I'll listen to you, and oh, you're a lot more loving. No, they'd misinterpret it. If I withheld the Word of God from you, I hate you! It's a hateful thing not to correct. It's a hateful thing not to expose the heart. Do you hear me? You see, listen to me. You can preach against wrong, but when you preach against the wrong that people are involved in, then there's that pressure to hold your peace. You see, we can all preach about murder here this morning. Everybody just shout and run around. Amen. But God forbid, I don't believe we have any murderers here. Amen. We can preach about a lot of things that's not present here, but it's when you deal with the heart that's under your ministry and expose what you know is there. That's when there's that opportunity for people to become offended and to be, and to be rebellious. Some folks hate reproof, while others are denied correction because their authorities refuse to give it. Now, when I'm talking about correction, we're talking about hard exposure here. Not just merely you're wrong, but I'm saying supernaturally, becoming the vessel that exposes the heart of those who are entrusted to our care. Now, I'm speaking from the, from the, you know, perception or from the perspective of a pastor. But this is true for a husband. This is true for a parent. This is true for a boss. Everywhere there's authority, you and I are obligated to expose the heart. And it's a hateful thing to withhold that from those who've been entrusted to our care. In Charles Finney's sermon on how to preach, as to convert no 1.4 was denounced sin in the abstract, but passed lightly over the sins that prevail in your congregation. And I've heard people say they're, they're in a terrible place. And they say, well, they do preach, you know, against sin. Well, they preach it against abortion. They preach it against racism. Those things need to be preached against. Oh, but they pass over the sins in that congregation. 
You have to be wiser than that. You can go to any church in America, even the most apostate churches, and they're going to denounce some sin. But it's all going to be abstract. There's going to be no application of the Word of God to those who sit under that preaching. Amen. If a pastor either refuses or ignores the sins of his congregation, he is in essence pronouncing a spiritual death sentence. It's death. It's going to produce death every single time. However, true biblical ministry is always probing the heart. Consider John chapter 6. I'm finding out that's one of my, you know, favorite chapters in the New Testament because I talk about it so much. What did Jesus do? He forced that throng to face themselves and to ask hard questions. Why are we following Him? And that's a pertinent, that's a relevant question at all times and in every situation. Preaching should always bring us to that place. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What are my motives here? What are my intents? Why am I coming to church? Why am I professing to be a Christian? I, I quote this verse and I quote these, this passage. I quote it so much because it's, it's God's divine crowd management. We're starting to gather a little, little crowd here. Let's find out why they're here. That's what God does. That's not what the world does. That's not what the religious world is. They don't want to know why you're here. Just keep putting the money in the basket. That's all they're concerned about. But Jesus is concerned with why. Why are you here? And if you're not here for the right reason, then we're going to see if we can run you off. Amen. Or get you in. Either get in or get out. But that's the heart of God. The Word preached or taught, it will always unravel the puzzle of the heart. At all times, it will bring what's hidden into the light. As Jesus pointed out, one of the marks of dead religion is its inability to engage the heart. Religion can only scratch the surface. That's all it can do. What did He say? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Oh, when the Holy Ghost is departed. Orthodox folks, they'll go around and establish holiness from the outside in. And there's no power, no ability to touch anything deeper than the exterior. But God's ministry is a ministry to the heart. And it's always so. Always. Without exception. It's this simple. Men refuse to confront the heart because it's unpopular to do so. It takes courage to lead, friend. I don't care what position of leadership you're in, but it takes courage. If you're a parent, that's a leadership position. If you're a husband, that's a leadership position. If you're called to preach, that's a position of leadership. Amen. That individual in med school that thinks Amen. Becomes queasy at the sight of blood. What's he going to do as a surgeon? He needs to quit training for that. And if you and I are going to lead, we're going to have to be uh, comfortable. We're going to have to embrace confrontation because the essence and the nature of leadership is always to confront. It'll never end. You always have to confront if you're going to lead. And if you don't like the idea of confrontation, then Christianity is really not for you. And you really haven't embraced the cross. 
Amen. Whether that's I have to confront somebody or I myself must be confronted. Amen. The most telling sign, the most sure indicator that we live in an age of apostasy is the wholesale refusal to hear correction in the church. That's all I need to know. Everybody walking around with a chip on their shoulder if you try to correct them. They already know that. They've already been there. They can already explain it. Amen. They've only been saved three years, but they've been everywhere, done everything, preached to everybody, and been through every experience, and they don't need anybody to tell them anything. You know such people are headed for terrible, terrible trouble. Amen. That heart has to be willing to receive, willing to be exposed, empty. You know, the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself. Amen. And that's, we ought to take that mind, that mind of a servant. God himself humbled himself. You say, well, I'm waiting for God to humble me. He can't humble you. But he said, you humble yourself. Amen. Under the mighty hand of God. The Bible says you break up your own fallow ground. In other words, just choose, amen, to believe that you don't know what you think you know. The Bible says if any man think of himself to be somebody or something, he's nothing. The Bible says if we think that we know something, we don't know nothing like we ought to know. Amen. That's the Word of God. And we humble yourself. Amen. And then the Word of God can be effectual. The Word spoken in the abstract is accepted while the applied Word of God, which is, Thou art the man. You're guilty. This sin isn't here this morning. I'm preaching to you, knowing that you're being found. That's that applied Word of God. It's unafraid to say, You are guilty. You must repent. That's wholesale rejected. People don't want to have any of that in this hour. Amen. They call it mean-spirited. Amen. And I believe we can be in a wrong spirit. Don't misunderstand me. We have to keep a right spirit. Just because I'm hard, just because I preach holiness, doesn't make me right. I have to be Christ-like. Amen. But you can't shun the pattern presented in the Word of God. Unfortunately, few in this hour truly desire heart exposure because few see the great need to keep and to maintain a clear, a clean heart. The Bible said, Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. No purity of heart, no revelation of God. No purity of heart, no revelation of God. That's an absolute no purity of heart. Amen. No revelation of God. People talk about God. People write about God. People sing about God. But they don't know Him because they don't have a pure heart. Dangerous people. Amen. They said to promote who they don't even know. Yet the difference between the two ministries of heart searching and heart ignoring are subtle, but they're distinct and I believe obvious to the spiritual man. One allows the here to be detached, aloof and distant from the truth of the gospel. Amen. To view Christ in a more historic rather than personal way. No present day application. No saying, well, this is what Jesus did, and this is what that means for you today. If He walked in this way, then you, as a follower of Christ, you say that you're in Christ, then you must walk as He walked on this earth. No present day application. While the other corners its subjects with heart-rending truth and forces them to focus on the biblical Christ. Applying the Word of God as it is in truth. No obscuring. No softening the shock. Contrasting ourselves with the person and character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's a shock. 
Is it not so? Amen. Have you ever walked in blindness? Walked in a shadow for a season? And suddenly the Spirit of God turned the light on. What did you see? You saw Christ. And because you saw Christ, you knew that that action or that thought or that demeanor or that attitude, woe is me! This is not Jesus! That's the ministry of the Holy Ghost. That's the ministry of God to the heart. True preaching brings us time and time again to the brilliant and shining character of Jesus to expose all unholiness of flesh and of spirit. It deals with everything. The most minute details of our motives and our intent. That's true holiness. All over America they got people saying, this is holiness and that is holiness. This can rule. And if a person looks like this, they're holy. That's not it, friend. A holy man will maybe look a certain way, but it's going to touch his spirit and not just his outward man. God wants people to be converted. You get people right with God. Amen. They're going to want the truth. They're going to want the truth. The Word of God. Amen. It's a ministry to the heart. And no one can escape that. The second thing, the Spirit of God. How many know the Spirit and the Word? Agree, always. So we can just sum up this point. Amen. We're not going to do that. I'm going to elaborate a little bit, but we could just sum it up. Amen. The Spirit agrees with the Word. So if the Word searches, we know the Spirit searches. But let's see what the Bible has to say. 1 Corinthians 2 and 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things. All things includes, amen, the heart of man. The Holy Ghost of God is an investigator of the heart. And that's what that word translated searcheth means in the Greek. He investigates. Amen. He's turning over every stone. Amen. He's out there looking under the rug. There's nowhere to hide. Nowhere to run. Nowhere to place the innermost parts of the heart. Because the eyes of the Lord are in every place for holding the good and the evil. He's searching things out. Job said he discovered deep things out of darkness. And bring up to life the shadow of death. If you don't want to be exposed, amen, then you better not get close to this God. If you don't want to be exposed, and listen to me, there's a lot of people, they don't even know, amen, the posture of their heart. It takes God and the light of the gospel and the word of God to expose their own heart to themselves. If you don't want to be exposed, amen, then you can have nothing to do with this God. This God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. The heart of man. It's hidden from the natural eye, not because it's physical and encased in a physical body, but because it's spiritual and the spiritual cannot be perceived by the natural eye. Everybody understands we're not talking about the physical organ of the human heart, but the innermost center of our being. It cannot be exposed from divine means. In one sense, the eye of the Lord is the Spirit of God. Proverbs 5 and 21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all of his goings. God is spirit. It's not necessary for, to ha- for him to have the faculty of a physical eye to see. But his spirit is everywhere at once. And his eyes go to and fro through that spirit. And he beholds all the goings in and the goings out of man. There's nothing hidden from his eyes. Nothing at all. Proverbs. 15 and 3, and we quoted that, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Now, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. We know that scripture we quoted. Amen. But you know, there's a much deeper meaning. Amen to that. When you, when you look at it in context, 
speaking of the Israelite, they couldn't behold, amen, the face of Moses for the glory, amen, he was a friend of God, he walked with God, amen, he talked face to face with God, and that stiff-necked and rebellious nation of Israel couldn't stand to look upon the glory of a man that came from the presence of God. Why? It exposed their hearts! There's a veil. You know what that veil is? That's willful. Even to this day, a veil is upon their heart when they read the Old Testament. Why? They don't want to see. They want to protect their heart from the light of God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know what that really means? It means that every spiritual hindrance is confronted and removed by the Holy Ghost. You know, before there can be freedom, there must be deliverance. And that is the work of the Holy Ghost. If I were to go down here to WCCA, hey Ben, I'd walk in there on Tuesday and tell them, man, I'm going to set you free today. You got, you're liberated. And they all begin to shout and be happy, amen. Then I said, well, I'm leaving. And I went out the door and shut the door behind them and it locked. They'd beat on that door and say, I thought you said we were liberated. I said, well, you are. You just need to believe that. No, we're not free until you take a key and open the door and we follow you out of here. There's no freedom unless there's first deliverance. Amen. And the Spirit of God comes. He comes to hammer away at everything that separates you from transparency before God. That heart ministry that wants to expose everything through preaching that's anointed of the Spirit of God is always inspired and empowered to dig deep and to expose. Biblical ministry uncovers our heart, bringing what we think, what we ponder, and what we act upon into the light. Again, Job says, Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? The psalmist said, Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. What do we expect? We're going to be exposed. Even these scriptures aren't just listening to the Bible. That was for Job. He needed to be exposed. Whoever the psalmist was there, David, he needed to be exposed. No, we all need to be exposed. These men are speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost out of their experience. They know the exposure of God. Remember the Spirit of God. He lifted up Ezekiel between heaven and earth. And he said, see thou what they do. See thou what they do. What was he doing? The Spirit of God was exposing what was happening in the secret chamber. What was happening in the dark places. In the very depth. In the very center of that temple. In the Holy of Holies. You know what that's a type of? It's a type of the heart. This is the temple of God. And the Holy Ghost will expose what's taking place in the inward chamber. The Spirit of God wants to bring it all out in the light. Like the woman at the well, Jesus, by the Holy Ghost, He always tells all. She went to the village, He said, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? You know, when we read that sweet little story about Jesus, give me to drink. You know, preachers just overlook. He said, You're an adulterer. You're a whore. That's basically what he said. You see, you say that today. You just tell somebody. You've had, you've had a multitude of husbands. The man you live with right now, you're a fornicator, you're an adulterer, you're not even married to. Oh, we are, we are married. We married in our hearts. She didn't try to justify herself. Herself. What'd she do? She said, this is God because he exposes my heart. 
She ran back to the village and said, Come, I'm going to show you a man that has revealed to me all I ever did. He's pointed out the wrong. He exposed my motive. This is none other than Christ. Oh, but people are not like that today. If you expose their heart, you become the devil instead of Jesus. But this is necessary, friend. Jesus is going to tell all. Amen. This heart ministry, it can be very, very uncomfortable, yet it is needful. These things being so, amen, God establishing the local church for ministry, then that tells me that the local church will sometimes be a place of heart-rending exposure. And that is God's design, and it is good. Everything that He made in Genesis, He looked upon it, and He said it's good. Amen. When He establishes the church, and He designed it so that there's light and there's no darkness at all, no place of comfort for sin, no place of comfort for darkness, no place of comfort for carnality or the flesh. He declares it good. I was just meditating this morning as Charlie preached on children's church. I thought how a lot of people, they'd really hate that. Oh, they wouldn't like that. Making those little children afraid that's demonic you hear me nothing more repulsive than that enemies of the cross carnal men void of wisdom do you hear me dangerous men wolves in sheep's clothing amen men who have removed the cross Amen. Who glory in their shame. Oh, we need to preach the gospel to those children. Those children of sinners. That's love. Do you hear me? To confront that child from the earliest age with the claims of Christ. Was it truth or not? Was truth to destroy a man or not? I can tell you why people say such things. Because they resist it to themselves. Anybody who would say such a thing, I'm going to tell you. It's a dangerous day. They're under... Demonic delusion. Amen. I can remember the church that I was reared in. You couldn't hardly get a good backslide and going before somebody confronted you. Amen. You missed prayer one morning. Somebody walk up to you and tell you, Brother, I sense you getting cold in the spirit. I mean, you were always being exposed. And the natural tendency of that flesh was, look, just leave me alone. I'll handle this myself. I don't need you always. That's that natural tendency of the flesh to reject correction and reproof. But I can tell you the ministry of God exposes the heart. It's a needful thing. It's a needful thing. I thank God for that now. I thank God for it now. Men that were led of the Spirit of God to speak to you. Amen. A lot of times you just sat there and listened. Didn't say yay or nay, but you knew the Spirit of God was reading your mail. You'd be thinking about something. Amen. The devil kept in you a certain way. You'd come in on Sunday morning and word for word, the Word of God would expose the lie of the devil. Thank God for such a ministry. It's needful. People that don't have that will dry up and go to hell. Fivefold ministers for the perfecting of the saints. The perfecting of the saints. However, in this hour, men reject the good for the easy, non-confrontational road. And it's so available. I'm going to every corner. There's the one little narrow way. You know, I can turn 360 degrees. 
But if there's one narrow way, just a small fraction, one degree out of 360. Do you hear me? 359 different ways. This using a number. Multitudes and multitudes of ways. I'm talking under the name of Christ. That uses the Bible that looks right. But one narrow way of escape. The place to victory. The place of blessing. When I say blessing, I'm talking about that you and I can be a blessing. There's a lot easier roads to travel. But the way of life is the way of Christ. And that's the way that we must go. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Well, what happens in the light? Why would you want to stay in the darkness? Seems like the light would be much more profitable. No! In the darkness I can hide! In the darkness no one knows! In the darkness it's between me and myself, but in the light I'm exposed and humbled! That's why they prefer the darkness. And that's why men always run and hide. The ministry of God is a ministry to the heart. The third thing is the blood. The blood of Jesus. Aren't you thankful for the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the precious blood of the Lamb? Hebrews 12 and 24. Incidentally, the blood agrees with the Word, and the blood agrees with the Spirit. So we already know the answer, but we're going to see what the Bible says. And that Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The blood of Jesus Christ speaks and it speaks to the heart of men. You know, the blood of Abel cried vengeance. While the blood of Jesus pleads for mercy to those who exercise faith in the atonement. That doesn't mean that the blood of Christ doesn't speak of judgment. It just provides a narrow way for mercy. Do you hear me? That's better. I said, that's better. Amen to what the blood of Abel speaks. Nevertheless, the blood of Jesus communicates to our hearts, certain eternal truths. You know, when you think about bloodshed, when you just meditate on that word, it speaks of injustice. It speaks of suffering. And it speaks of sacrifice. And we know that Christ is that perfect sacrifice for sin. Romans 5 and 6 says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Injustice. Is that right? Jesus was innocent. There was a sacrifice made. Romans 5 and 8. But God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His blood was shed. There was a sacrifice. It was not just, do you hear me? He was a substitute for you and I. We're worthy of death, not Him. This is the truth of the Gospel. I tell you, many people don't realize this or recognize this. To those who are truly brought to repentance, the death of Christ is made very, very, very personal. When you talk to people and they speak of the crucifixion of Jesus as some distant event in the past, you can know they have never been born again. The sacrifice of Calvary and the shed blood of God's Lamb is no mere nominal or generic event. He died for me. And He died because of me. Do you hear me? That's the truth that's made very real. The blood, we're talking about the blood. It exposes the heart of mankind. True gospel preaching always drives home this point. 
It quickens this truth to the Spirit. Amen. This truth is made a reality. Amen. You find people that often they'll crusade when there's an unjust death. For instance, some child is kidnapped. And some child is molested and raped and murdered by some depraved monster. And all that's an awful thing. But the parents will establish a foundation and raise money. And they'll give their life to a cause because of that unjust death. Listen to me. Somebody died for you and I. But not just somebody. But God manifested in the flesh. Amen. There ought to be a crusade raised up in our hearts to live for Christ. He died for us. We need to lay down our lives for the brethren. It ought to inspire in us gratitude, overwhelming thankfulness. We're constrained by the love of God. I want you to consider three different sermons in the book of Acts. Peter at Pentecost, the apostles when they were persecuted, and Stephen before the council. They delivered at different times to different audiences and under different circumstances. However, there is one thing, one constant thing in those sermons as I read through them. Amen. They said a few different things. Of course, I believe they were all preaching the gospel. But there's one thing that I found in all three. And that was the application of personal responsibility for the shed blood of Christ. Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged. Not just Jesus died, but you killed him. You slew him. You hung him on a tree. You're responsible. Do you know that's true for every sinner? I spit in his face. I cried, crucified, crucified by my actions. My sin drove the nails into his hand. That's a reality for every man that's been converted. Do you hear me? I want you to know the two different heart reactions, two different heart reactions in these three sermons. One crowd was pricked. The other two were cut. On the day of Pentecost, just when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what? Shall we do? They're humbled. They're brought low. Oh, Lord God, we see it. Amen. The heart was exposed. We've killed an innocent man. And not just man, but God manifested in the flesh. Brethren, what should we do? Amen. This is the hierarchy, many of them. Of Israel, they're looking to some poor, ignorant fishermen that are anointed by the Holy Ghost and saying, what must we do? In regards to spiritual things, they were humble men. The message of the gospel cut their heart, opened, exposed their innermost thoughts. But then in Acts chapter 5, amen, at this sermon of the apostles, says when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they took counsel to slay them. Amen, same application, two different reactions. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen applied the word of God, he said, ye, you always resist. No, I'm not talking about somebody down the street. I'm talking about you. You resist. Hey, he's expounded on theology. He goes from Genesis to Malachi. Nobody says a word until he says you. Always resist the Holy Ghost. It's you that's guilty. Just like your fathers that saw the prophets. Amen. That hated the patriarchs. That persecuted the righteous. You do always Resist the Holy Ghost. Says when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Amen. It produced an irrepressible anger. In other words, retribution for exposing their hearts. 
Their heart was exposed. And now they said, no one does that. Not even God. We're going to kill you for it. Every prophet, listen to me, every martyr in the history of church was killed because of that. If they truly were martyred, they were killed because their life, their testimony, their message exposed somebody's heart and people wouldn't have it. Amen. Wow, what's the difference here between pricked and cut? You know, when I was a little child, we'd go to the, the doctor, we'd need a penicillin shot or whatever. I hated shots. How many of you hated shots? Ooh, I hated to get a shot. And I'd go there and my mother would tell me, the doctor would give me advice. Look, don't tense up. The best thing for you to do is just relax and just receive it. It's going to be a lot less painful and it's going to help you. If you just go with the flow and let that shot penetrate and it will prick you. Amen. But the pain will be less than you just you know, restricting your muscles. It's going to be a fight then. You know, when we cut grass, that light, that area, that dry grass, it's suffering from, you know, drought. It's not healthy. Do you understand? It moves with the flow of the blade. But that healthy grass that stands tall and independent, it's no match for the blade. The blade cuts it to the ground. What's the difference between being pricked and cut? Amen. If I'll agree with the Word of God. Amen. I'm not going to say it's going to be pain-free. But I tell you what, it'll produce life. If you'll humble yourself and move with the flow of the Holy Ghost, then you'll be raised up to life. But if you resist the rock of Christ Jesus and you stand opposed to the Word of God, you'll be ground to powder. That's the principle. Nevertheless, the heart condition, whether receptive or cold, was irrelevant. The message still penetrated the heart. Ain't nobody so hard that the Word of God and the anointing doesn't penetrate their heart. They may want to kill you, but that's a sign. You know what happened? That council, they rose up, they were cut to the heart. That's what the Bible says. That means the ministry of the Holy Ghost was affected. And if you preach at Ocean's campus or on the street and people rise up in anger, that worldly, blind, carnal, temporal-minded church will tell you this is ineffective. Oh, no. This is a sign that it indeed is infective. It's touching the heart. The last thing here this morning, amen, of the last element is the cross. First Corinthians 1 and 18, for the preaching of the cross, it's to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross efficiently addresses the most basic hindrance to true spirituality. And that's ourselves. Amen. Your greatest enemy. Amen. The number one obstacle for you being what God has called you to be is not the devil. It's you. Amen. You are the greatest obstacle. Jesus carried his cross and we must bear our own. When people don't bear a cross, there's no way they're going to do the will of God because the greatest obstacle is alive, well, well and thriving in their midst. The only way, amen, to grow in God is to do things God's way. we got to carry our cross. The removal of the cross of that which says, listen to me, death to our will. Death to our plans. Death to our agenda. Death to our little schemings of how we're going to do things and how we're going to get it done. The, the cross always communicates death to that. The removal of the cross 
of that which is death to our will is an unfortunately epidemic in our day. And you've got to know what the cross is to even recognize it. The cross is not just a mere mentioning that Jesus died upon a Roman cross 2,000 years. That's not the preaching of the cross. It is a deeper spiritual thing. The cross in gospel preaching exposes and challenges the subtle schemes and plots of the flesh to assert Jesus as Lord and reestablish the carnal kingdom. Proverbs 21 and 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. I've thought about a lot of things that I thought was right. I conjured up a lot of plans. Amen. They were dashed upon the rocks of God's altar. Oh, I schemed and thought, how am I going to deliver myself from this and do it this way? Amen. And then come into the light of His presence. And He said, no, I'm not going to bless anything but my will. The cross always challenges that. The cross confronts the most subtle of our motives and pronounces a destiny to all that's not truly the resurrected Christ. Jeremiah 17 and 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You know, just because we're in the gospel dispensation doesn't negate this, you know, scriptural principle. Oh, that's works, Brother Britt. See, I'm going to tell you, people, they don't know how to rightly divide the Word of God. They don't even understand the Bible. Faith produces works. Good works and good works are never, not one time, condemned in the Bible. Only dead works. Amen. We are ordained to bring forth good works. Preordained, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And those good works don't save us. But they, re- they reveal that we are saved. They're a token of genuine faith. If you don't have it, you're not right with God. He's going to try the motive. He said, the light is going to come. It's going to be manifest how these works come forth. Is our preaching of God or is it not? Is our witnessing of God or is there some ulterior motive? Is everything we do, even that we call Christian, even from an exterior perspective, it seems right. It seems pure. Whether they're going about to write their homeschooling or they're spanking their children. But God wants to try the hearts. Why are you doing what you're doing? Everything is going to be brought into the light. And it's the cross that deals with that element of self that defiles our service to God. Remember the cross. That's not a religious symbol in Paul's day when he wrote these scriptures by the Holy Ghost. But it was a familiar instrument of execution. And we need to remember that. You mentioned the cross today, and it might conjure up the image of an Easter pageant, but it just as well might conjure up the image of a rock hunt. It's a religious symbol. But you know, you and I, we're raised in a generation that's familiar with the electric chair. And just the mentioning of the electric chair, what does that represent to you and I? It represents guilt. It represents condemnation, judgment. Amen. You're a criminal worthy of death. Amen. Do you hear me? 
So when the cross is mentioned in the Bible, we need to remember that cross was an instrument of execution. The gospel means nothing if a man does not see that Christ died. He died dead. He went to Calvary. He's no more. He's put in the grave. God manifested in the flesh, was slaughtered without mercy. He, he endured. He was humiliated, endured the most agonizing death for you and I. That's a reality. And the gospel means nothing if that's not communicated to you and I. And also that we must die with Him. This is the end of the line, mister. No more planning your life. No more running the show. It's over with. From this day forward, you pick up that cross. It's Christ and it's all of Christ. You have no right to take up any portion of your life. Or pardon me, you have the right to take it up or to lay it down. But the consequences of this, Jesus will not share His agenda with you. Amen. It's going to be, He's Lord or your Lord. One or the other. No negotiation. No mixture. If the Lordship of Christ is not communicated, then it's not the gospel. Oh, and that disqualifies so much in this hour. The claims to be gospel preaching. And the cross, listen to me, that's the only remedy for the robbery at the throne. That's the only way. There's nothing else. Hey, man, you remove the cross. Hey, man, you're going to be arm wrestling with God and God's not going to have it. Hey, then you're going to grieve his spirit. He's not going to come where he doesn't govern. Hey, man, one person's going to be king. You're going to choose each and every day. You either crucify Christ afresh. Hey, man, are you yourself are crucified with him? Each day we choose our Lord, and it's the cross. It stands unmoved and solid to deal with the individual that will not reign. One or the other, it's our choice. If Jesus is truly made Lord, then every aspect of the Christian life will fall into place. That includes holiness. That includes service, love, unity, whatever it may be. Amen. You get people to to submit themselves to Christ. Amen. What do I wear? We were just talking to somebody the other day. They assumed that I preached against birth control here. That's why everybody had so many children. Now, I'm not, I believe that's a conviction of heart. But I've never preached that, that I know of in seven years. But that's what people think. People wouldn't do that unless you made them to do that. They wouldn't dress like that unless you posted a dress code on the wall. You know what that tells me? They've got churches full of cares. you got to tell people, you ask Jesus what to wear. And if they're right with God, you know what they're going to be? Modest. Because Jesus is the Bible. And the Bible says that women ought to adorn themselves with modest apparel. Just get people to submit to Christ. I'm not saying you never preach on that either. I'm just simply saying, you've got to force people to do the Bible. They're not right with God. They're not right with God. Amen. It's vanity to seek to build and edify a congregation that refuses to make Jesus their Lord. That's Sunday morning. You're not going to teach them not a thing. You're not going to teach them one single thing. That rebellious, half-hearted care cannot receive the truth of God. You're wasting your time, wasting your breath. So why sit there and teach them on, you know, what the rapture means and what this means in a little simple teaching when God wants their heart exposed so they'll get born again or they'll get out. That's the will of God. Dabbling with tears and trying to teach them to be religious. 
Many preachers falsely assume that an increase of knowledge equates to an understanding of biblical doctrine. But my Bible says knowledge profits up. It's charity that edifies. What is charity? Withhold not the rod of... Deal with what's there! Just parallel to a family. If my children are not doing their chores, I've got to deal with it. I'm going to sit down and teach them the difference between pre- and mid- and post-tribulational rapture. Hey, then it's time to get a spanking. That means nothing to you. You're going to miss the rapture whenever it comes. Hey, then because you're disobedient. Trying to teach people that come to church on Sunday morning and you don't see them the next, until the next week. Hey, then there's no reason teaching them theology. They need to get born again. They need to get right with God. We're wasting our time to teach doctrine to men who refuse to embrace God's will first. Jesus must be Lord. Jesus said, if any man will do his will, he shall know of a doctrine. So what am I going to do if I know men are not doing the will? No need for me to try to teach them. Let's get them saved. Let's preach the cross to them and drive that half-hearted element in or out. Amen. Conditions. We spoke about the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the blood and the cross. Those are all elements of the gospel. They're there for us to preach and to live. Amen. But if we're going to have a ministry to the heart, there's certain conditions that we have to meet. And really, this is a whole other sermon in and of itself. And I didn't go into great detail. But I think there's one paramount thing we need to consider. That's the law of reaping and sowing. Do you hear me? That's the law of reaping and sowing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 4, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust, with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. We will never be instruments that God uses to expose unless we ourselves have been exposed. And that's the criteria right there. If you have not been exposed, then you will never expose anyone. There's got to be that willingness to come to the light. Luke 8 and 18, take heed therefore how ye hear, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not from him shall be taken, even that which he seemeth to have. I can tell you in my life as a Christian, there's been very, very heart-rending, painful moments. Moments of isolation. Moments where I've been solitary before God. Moments where I've had to see myself for what I was apart from Christ. Horrible, difficult, but humiliating, agonizing place where I've been brought out and exposed before people where I've had to humble myself. And I thank God for His grace to endure such moments. But I can tell you this, there is no shortcut to a ministry of influence. But you're going to have to be influenced before you can influence others. Make no mistake, how we hear determines the influence we'll have when we speak. We'll never be allowed of God to handle such authority if we ourselves refuse heart searching. Amen. A man out here, he stands in the pulpit and says, hearken unto the law of God. And then he drives 80 miles an hour in a 70 mile an hour zone. Listen to me. He needs to sit down and shut his mouth. I said he needs to sit down and shut his mouth 
Amen. No one should listen to that. If he won't submit to the law of God's delegated authority, then he can't preach God's law. And there are thousands of situations like that that men have to be real. I've tried to follow preachers to preaching conventions and they leave me sitting because they're going a hundred miles an hour. Amen. With their radar detector on no fear of God. Do you hear me? That's no fear of God. It needs to be a coming under. When a man recognizes authority, he sees it everywhere. And he fears to defy it. He fears to cross it. Because he knows that it takes authority to do what he's called to do. If you don't have authority, you're not going to get anything accomplished in the kingdom of God. Be like the seven sons of Schema. Jesus, we know. Paul, we've dealt with him. But we've been, we're getting ready to whoop you naked. Send you down the road. Amen. That's what the devil will do with somebody that does not recognize authority. Amen. See that man that has difficulty when he's confronted. He's always going to be resisted himself. Amen. How I've seen this. I've seen a pattern over my Christian life. There'll be that man. He's so harsh, so precise with others. But then when he's cornered, oh, he can come up with, like Charlie said, with the most profound excuse. Amen. He can come up with all kind of reasons why it can't be seen. I can tell you a man that's not free from that will never be used to expose. Shallow ministry is always a reflection of shallow experience. We'll never affect people to move further in God than our own experience. We can never be used to compel men to go further in God than we've gone ourselves. Prayerless men will always produce prayerless people. It doesn't matter how much they preach on prayer and teach on prayer. They're not going to rise above their own experience. You put a corn seed in the ground and that's what you get. Watermelon ain't coming up. Prayerless men, they're sowing their life. They're going to reap prayerless people. Unholy men, unholy people. Unfaithful men, faithless people. A man with little character, people with no integrity. It always holds pattern. Each after its own time. Do you hear me? The, what is the Word of God? Jesus said it's seed. And a seed is meant to, meant to be planted. The sower went out to do what? Sow. That's what he, that means plant. Putting, putting it in. Amen. Putting it down. If it didn't penetrate, it wasn't the sower's fault. It wasn't the seed's fault. It was the soil's fault. Do you hear me? It's always the intention of God for that Word to penetrate the heart. Just like it's always the intention of that farmer, that sower, to put that seed under the ground. It's always the intention of God to search that heart, to pry in, to pry open, to expose, to reveal, to uncover. Amen. The heart-probing ministry, it always produces men that can be probed and that will probe. Do you hear me? you got to sit under it. you got to receive it and then you become that. It's exposure now or exposure later. The choice, so it's not easy as ours. No one's going to escape exposure. No one's going to escape. There is no hiding. Even the Bible says the great men, the mighty men, the chief captains, even they all stood before the Lamb and they cried out for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them. And to what? To hide them from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. 
the Bible says, before that great white throne, all the earth and heaven fled away looking for some darkness. But the day of darkness is going to end and every man's going to be exposed. So it's exposure now or exposure later. Let us choose to be exposed now so that we can be useful in the kingdom of God. When I established this church, it was something that I consciously knew and consciously counted the cost that I wanted a ministry that exposed the heart at all times. Let it be known what we truly have, what we truly are, no matter how painful that is, no matter how seemingly discouraging some people can't handle, amen, reality, because they want a quick fix. It just exposes their heart that they're not really set in for the long haul. A man that says, I'm going to follow Christ, amen, it just goes without saying he's committed through, you know, thick or thin, heaven or hell, sickness or death. It's a marriage covenant, mister. It's forever. And when it's broken, it's man that breaks it and not God. He'll stick with you, but you're going to have to stick with him. You hear me? He'll stick with you through thick and thin. But you're going to have to stick, amen, with Him. And so I don't care how discouraging it seems. We've been having a church for seven years, you know, in December. And if we ain't taking but one step and let God tell us and let Him show it to us, I'm not going to give up or throw the towel in. Amen. I want to know the truth, even if it saves me. Such man, amen. The preacher who wants truth yearns for reality, asking what is really happening here. Daniel the prophet said, He revealeth the deep and the secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with it, willing, with him. Such a man, such men that want truth, they're willing to be used to dig, to probe, and to cross-examine, no matter how unpopular, no matter how people you know weary with such a ministry. We've got to want the truth. We've got to desire for our hearts to be exposed if we're going to move on with God. That'll never cease. It'll never cease. And the tone for the entirety of any ministry is set right here. Right there. You hear me? Because the moment, amen, you say, well, it doesn't have to be this direct. It doesn't have to be this personal. It doesn't have to be this gut-wrenching. Let's find a place of ease where we can take a rest and sit down. We're doing far better than other people. Amen. Let's find a place where we can enjoy the labor of our hands. It's the moment of death. It's a funeral march that's begun as soon as men succumb to such thinking. Unfortunately, most people have little or no desire to be exposed. Yes, yet this is absolutely imperative to spiritual growth. Amen. How many times have I seen people grow spiritually cold? Amen. Because they refused to be exposed. So there was indifference, a lack of benefit there in places where there is no exposure and they don't know the importance of it and you can watch them over the years I think of one man in particular he's in a certain place and for years he'd ponder maybe I need to leave there's just you know no no real life here there's nothing happening sin's not preached against and he keeps making up excuses and procrastinating and now it's as if his eyes are gouged out of his spiritual head he can't even see the great dilemma, the great spiritual dearth that he's found in. How many times have I seen people 
be in a place and some unwise, carnal, ignorant individual tell them, well, you know, just stay there and be a blessing. Perhaps you can change the course, amen, of that whole place. Listen to me, you're not going to save religion. Religion's been lost before you were born. Do you hear me? Ain't nobody ever got religion saved. You're going to have to separate from it. And I can tell you, if anything's going to change in any church, it's going to come from the head on down. Why would a man sit there when he's in disagreement with the pastor? It's just going to foster rebellion anyway. Amen. need to leave and find somewhere where the Word of God is printed. I'm not talking about little, some little difference in theology. Everybody understand what I'm talking about. But no searching of the heart. No gut-wrenching. No, no drawing unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, once you partake of such a ministry, you'll never be satisfied with anything less. And such people, it's an amazing thing. You know, as a pastor who hates sin, who has a standard, you as a people that hate sin and have a standard, if one person would come in here and play church, and we would know that it's sin and not deal with it, the Bible says a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. How much more for a couple or a family that goes into a whole church that's leavened and not even in charge of it and thinks that they're not going to be leavened? It's deception, friend. That's not what the Bible teaches. Amen. But once you've partaken of such a ministry, you'll never be satisfied with anything less. You know, when I left the church of my youth, say by youth, as my young Christian life, the thing even went, you know, went out of the way, arrow, what have you. But I can remember my wife and I, we longed for such a fellowship. We longed for that closeness. We longed for the exposure. I tell you, it's rare. It's very difficult to find. To find a place where you know if I step out of the way, there's no way I'm going to hide it. If I, if I lose the victory, it's going to be exposed. There's no way. Listen to me. That atmosphere is New Testament Christianity. But it's the thing in this hour. I, I know so many friends of mine, pastor friends, and they'll say, they'll make statements like this. Well, I wouldn't want to do that because that seems kind of cultish. But they'll be talking about something that's the Bible. Am I supposed to consider whether people think I'm a cult or not? No, I don't care whether you think I'm a cult leader or not. I don't care whether they think I'm a cult leader or not. I care what God thinks. If it's the Bible, then I must do it. And because of that, much of the church world, much of the leadership of the church, because they're concerned about their reputation before men and what the world thinks about them, amen, that they will not disciple their people. And there's great dearth. And we wonder why hell has enlarged herself. You know what the prophet said? The prophet Isaiah said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He said right before that in Isaiah chapter 5, He said, The honorable men are famished. And therefore, hell has enlarged herself. No heart ministry. No exposing of the thoughts and the motives of the heart. Great repercussions in the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's stand here this morning. I think we need to be thankful, first of all, that in our Christian life, God has seen fit to expose us. And I believe we've all been exposed. I'm thankful that God has exposed me at times. But I think, furthermore, we need to desire to be Christians. 
Somebody says, you want to be a good preacher, I'd rather be known as a Christian. Just to be known as a Christian. If, I, if I'm known as a Christian, then I'll do the will of God. If the will of God is for me to preach, amen, I'll be a good preacher. Because I can just be a Christian. Amen. And I think we need to seek such a ministry. And we need that. You know when you homeschool your children, they need a heart ministry. Do you know as a, as a husband, you need to have a heart ministry to your wife. And on and on and on. It's necessary. It's imperative. If their hearts are not exposed, they won't be born again. If they are born again and their hearts are not exposed, they won't be sanctified. It's needful. Let's lift our hands to this morning.